in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Sources this morning, news story here, Kyrie Irving. And the Nets are at impasse in conversations about his future in Brooklyn, clearing the way for the seven-time All-Star to consider the open market. The Lakers and Knicks are expected to emerge, emerge among potential suitors. I can't believe I'm saying, do you want this guy if you're LeBron? No! 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 no. I don't want anything to do with this guy. No, I am the Michael Scott meme. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Get this guy away from my franchise. If you want to know how could it be worse for the Knicks, it could be having to deal with the Kyrie Irving drama. No, get this guy and get him far, far away from Madison Square Garden. I wonder if the impasse is Brooklyn doesn't want him. The impasse is that nobody wants him. Think back to the quotes that Sean Marks had at the end of the year, right? Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, came on at the end of the year and said, we want guys that are committed to the team. We want guys that are committed to being here and doing what it takes to win. He wasn't talking about Kevin Durant. He wasn't talking about Joe no, Harris. He wasn't. Yeah. Next so question. now, go ahead. Uh, no, 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 no. Demond said I have to move on, so I have to move on. I'm sorry. No, I, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I bet you are. No, <laughs> just gonna wrap wrap the thought with this. What NBA team, after everything we've seen with Kyrie the last couple of years, is gonna believe they can make it work? No. And and and. To, to your point, with what happened with the Lakers last year with all these supposed superstars, and whether it be aging ones or not, didn't they learn enough from that, Adam, not to go after this guy? I mean, I, I know it, it, when he's at his best, he's at his best. And he's a, you know, he can be a great player, but didn't they learn enough with these big name guys and you know having ha, trying to get the big, you know, the most superstars on one roster? The only way I could see it is if the Lakers said to themselves, "Well." LeBron can make anybody work, right? Uh, wait a second. What we already saw this year? in Cleveland. We yeah. saw this. They're not going to put those two together again. Next question. The Aces, your Aces beat Minnesota 96-95, 20 points each from Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson. Uh-oh. Chelsea Gray, 9 assists. What happened with poor Jessica Shepard of the Lynx? Didn't know the score. Down three, takes the two. And the uh, Aces beat uh, Minnesota 96-95. What's the what's the punishment there? You got to know the score. You got to know the score, Jessica Shepard. Well, the punishment is that you have to do a three-hour online Zoom course with J.R. Smith about learning yes. how to handle <laughs> late-game situations. Right? He's going to have to just sit through that and learn how to handle things. It's amazing. The Aces were down double digits at halftime in this game, and I was following some WNBA folks on Twitter that I normally do, and they were kind of saying, "Yeah, we're not. There's nothing to worry about here. The Aces will be fine." That's the kind of belief that the rest of the league has in this Aces team right now. They're averaging 91 points a game. Connecticut's the closest at 86. Is they at 91? 91 points oh per game goodness. for a 13-2 Aces team. Uh, by the way, the Sky clinched a uh, spot in the WNBA Commissioner's Cup against the Aces. Uh, the Commissioner's Cup's an in-season competition featuring 60 regular season games. Teams with the best winning percentage in East Conference face-off July 26th. Home arena of the squad with the highest... Win clip. That's likely going to be the Aces, I'd imagine. Uh, not a bad job. The uh, championship game offers five hundred thousand dollar prize pool for players. Winning team able to earn at least thirty thousand per player and runner up to uh, take home ten thousand each. This isn't a bad deal, is it? I mean, they're if they 
if they defend and like you said nothing happens injury wise who's beating this team in a best of three or best of five no i mean this entire scenario has changed for the aces no one's beating them in that sort of short series and I know the money doesn't sound very impressive oh, when I we talk it about yeah. what it, what it should, you know, but when we talk about compared to right. other sports, right? But for the WNBA and what the salary structure looks like, yeah, they you absolutely needed to create more opportunities for players to earn uh, as opposed to losing them to overseas. So yes, it's a good start for the WNBA and the Aces in particular feels to me like Bill Ambeer is about to become Mark Jackson. Right. Like oh, the it's a guy, great call. The guy before it really takes Who off. Couldn't do it. Exactly. Couldn't get it done. Man, you know, that's a great question. You have the floor. The Yankees, Blue James, 11 games back. Rays, 13. Red Sox, 13 and a half. Uh, their next win is the 50th. Get a chance to uh, reach that Monday when they start a three-game uh, series against the A's. All right. One, you have the floor. Are they this good? And two, how good are they compared to past Yankee teams that were great? Are they this good? No, but they're a lot closer to this good than I thought they were about three weeks ago. Uh, are they as good as the Yankee teams of the past? No, they're absolutely not. They're farther away from that than they are with the gap that I'm talking about between what I thought they were three weeks ago and what they are now. But they're still clearly the best team in the league. And yes. I'll give you this example, Ed. Uh, I have a friend who is a huge Yankees fan who might be more pessimistic than you are about the Dodgers, <laughs> about the Yankees. I keep a picture of Eeyore in my favorites on my phone so that I can just send him the Eeyore picture when he sends me the latest doom and gloom text about the Yankees. And I texted him at the beginning of the Toronto series after they won on Friday. I was like, maybe they're actually this good, question mark. And he wrote back and said, well, maybe it's June. Oh, By wow. Saturday, by Saturday, he wrote back to me and he said, maybe they are this good like oh so even the non-believers are in when they've got to 49 and 16. that's Look, me they, yeah i'm telling you man i'm telling you if we can make if we can make my friend the, the yankees version of ed graney a believer maybe they actually are good i go from inning to inning pitch to pitch like a lunatic oh that's no that's exactly no that is exactly him. Yesterday, I was. He told me yesterday when they lost their first, got for the first time in ten games when they lost to Toronto, scored nine runs, lost ten nine to Toronto. They only gave up seven hits. They just happened to give up a three run homer and a grand slam. He's texting me saying that the bullpens finally got exposed. <laughs> no, they didn't get exposed. It's just that the good pitchers had pitched the two uh... days before and they had to use the bad pitchers to try to get out of there. Are they are they comparative to other great teams? Or is it too early to to tell? You know, those other Yankees teams had done it before. They had players who had won championships. Who among this Yankee squad has a championship to their name that you can look at and say, well, we know they've they've been able to have been there, done that before. They don't have any of those guys. And so with those old Yankees teams, yeah, you could look at a guy like a David Cohn as someone who had been there before. Derek Jeter had been there before. The Yankees don't have any of those guys, and they're going to have to prove it. So they're they're the best team in baseball. They're not one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. I'm out. Kenny Atkinson has informed the Charlotte Hornets he won't become the franchise's new coach and will remain with the Warriors after accepting Charlotte's job offer during the NBA Finals last week. Further conversations with the Hornets organization led Atkinson to believe that both professionally and personally it would be best to remain with the NBA champions. Atkinson and Hornets had agreed in principle to a four-year deal, but the contract was never signed. 
I guess what does this say about the Charlotte Hornets? I mean, uh, you know, you you went, you've got a you got more rings now. There's, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You have a chance to be a head coach in the league. Uh, you know, get mellow and some of these uh, some of these players. You know that uh, Jordan has assembled. What does this say about the Hornets? Congratulations to Kenny McAtkinson for pulling a Josh McDaniels <laughs> and finding himself back in the bosom at Golden State. Uh, I wonder if this means, Ed, that Steve Kerr isn't going to coach forever, right? I, I kind of right, wonder if right. maybe that this is a situation where Kenny Atkinson would rather wait out the Golden State Warriors and as opposed to going down and going into Michael Jordan post-Bulls, post-Wizards, Hornets world, which has not looked all that great. I wonder how long he goes. You know, he is the Olympic coach. Tyler and I were talking about this last week. I mean, maybe a couple more years and they win another one and he just go, I, it would be kind of the cherry on top to do the Olympics and win the gold and just kind of ride off at that point. You've, you've already established yourself. Uh, I don't know where you rank him. And these rankings are so subjective because after last week, where's Steph? Is he top five? Is he top ten? I mean, Steve Kerr has to be a top ten coach of all time. I'm not going to sit here and say I know. remember every coach who did everything in the league, but he's got to be top ten. So you coach a few more years, you get another ring maybe, maybe you don't. You've already got four, you win a gold medal, and then you ride off. And if you look at the Warriors, you don't look at it and say, oh, well, when Steph's gone, the whole thing's over. They took full advantage of being able to rebuild when they were bad, right? When Clay and Steph were bad, they rebuilt the core of this team. We haven't even seen the former number two pick, James Wiseman, on the floor right. yet. Like, we haven't seen Kaminga play any serious minutes for them. And I have a feeling they're probably going to end up paying Andrew Wiggins, who seemed to have his breakout in these playoffs so if you wait a few years you're probably still getting a really good team if you're Kenny Atkinson and deciding to spurn the Hornets to go back because isn't that what we thought McDaniels was doing we thought McDaniels was going to wait out Belichick and then right. he decides to come out to the Raiders okay so maybe Kenny Atkinson does the same thing and waits for a better situation than Charlotte that was my next question to you can they keep these guys together Poole Wiggins uh and a lot of these guys I don't know if they're going to take less because they want their bag they want their money I get that I mean you only have so many contracts to get as much as you can but uh Poole said Wiggins is going to you're going to get your bag he told him um but it you know with Andrew Wiggins he went through the number one pick he went through Minnesota he saw what it was like on the other side of the coin and now he comes here. You don't have to be number one for now. You can be number three. You can be number four in some nights, and you win a ring. I think that I think that means something to, to guys. They've already seen it on the other side where, yeah, you're the star, and you're expected to do these things, and you're never going to win anything. So if you ask me between Wiggins and Poole, what are they going to do? Here's what they should do. Resign Andrew Wiggins. You just saw everything that he can do. You saw the defense. You saw the ability to take the game on his shoulders when he had to. You're not going to do that with Jordan Poole. Right. Jordan Poole plays about 1% more defense than Adam Candy does. So you're not going to want Jordan Poole as the guy you're building around. And someone's going to pay Jordan Poole to shoot the three-pointer and score the way he did. So if it's going to be one of the two of them, when you still have to pay Clay, Steph, and Dre for another few years, then I think they probably need to be paying Wiggins and letting Poole walk on and trying to figure out the rest. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. Cincinnati Reds pitcher Graham Ashcroft balked at the enforcement of a Major League Baseball rule after told to remove his wedding ring from under his glove hand by umpires in the Milwaukee uh, against the Milwaukee Brewers, Reds against Brewers. Uh, Ashcroft was told to take the ring off his left hand during a foreign substance inspection of the first inning. 
Adam Candy, are we overthinking the room here? I mean, I can see the pitching hand. They take this guy's glove off. Now they're taking the rings off. And and by the way, it's funny because I watch some of these checking of the hands. It goes so fast. I don't even know if they're touching the hands. I mean, they come off like, okay, I got you. It's sweat. Go, go ahead. So I don't even know if they're getting all these things. But to take the guy's ring off on the left hand, it's almost, here we go. He says, he goes, take off your rings, Ashcraft told uh, reporters post game. I was like, no, why do I take off my ring? I shouldn't have to. Apparently, it's some new rule they came up with yesterday. And with that, Graham Ashcroft became the guy with the greatest excuse for messing around that ever lived, <laughs> right? I can't, I, honey, I couldn't leave my, the umpire said I had to take my ring off. He, he never told me when I had to put it back on. Uh, no, I, this is, look, this is the same sport that allowed Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa to jab needles in their ass for years. <laughs> but now a guy might be hiding a little bit of sticky stuff under his wedding ring. So he has to take it off. Good job, Bobby Manfred. You are really on the pulse this time. What do you think? Last one here. Former All-Pro uh, linebacker said Peyton Manning was much scarier to face than Tom Brady. Bart Scott, the former All-Pro linebacker for the Jets and Ravens, told ESPN this week he was adamant that Manning, not Brady, kept defenders up at night. DeMond is now clapping like a nut job. I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than go against Peyton Manning. Scott said, I believe that's how everybody feels. In the heyday, you'd never have players thinking, oh, man, I'm so far afraid of Tom Brady. Peyton Manning gives you a total sense, a different level of anxiety, like you sleep at night saying, damn. With Tom Brady, it was more about Bill Belichick, the entire team, the execution, them having a game plan. I don't Remember, know. Yeah. I mean, Go ahead, Ed. No, it, it just always seems like, you know, the, the Brady's the, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Brady guy. I think what he's done is incredible. That's fine for him, but you, you can tell me what you think about this. It's, I don't know if it's low-hanging fruit. It's always, it's always easy to go against Brady. Look, Brady's going to be a target for as long as he lives because right. it's going to be, was it about Brady or was it about Belichick, right? I happen to think it was a lot more about Brady than about Belichick. But with, it's going to be like that forever. And we don't do that with Peyton Manning, right? We saw Peyton Manning win in two different places, the same way we've seen Tom Brady win in two different places. But this, to me, is a lot like, do you remember, Ed, years ago, when Alex Rodriguez did that famous interview where he talked about, yeah, when you go against the Yankees, you don't worry about beating Derek Jeter. You worry about Bernie Williams. You worry about Tino Martinez. Okay, cool, but Derek Jeter still won five rings. So whether that's the guy that kept you up at night or not, that's still the guy that beat your ass, Bart Scott. So maybe that's not the right thing to be saying. We'll stay with football after this. Here we go. This is the Press Box with Ed Graney and Adam Candy. Stay tuned for a giveaway. Willie Ramirez at 8.30. He's not the giveaway, but it'll be a great guest. Morrissey at 845, Aces next hour. I uh, want to talk to you, uh, uh, myself and Adam Candy here with DeMond running the show, uh, about Pete Carroll. I, this is interesting. I don't know if I believe Pete Carroll as far as I can throw him either that or they're just tearing things down and he doesn't care. Uh, Mid-QB speculation, Pete Carroll says the Seahawks are in good shape with Geno Smith and Drew Locke. They've been really impressive, Carroll said, of both, and it's not been any one sequence here or there. They've just been solid throughout camp. We've shared a ton of reps. Gino's gone with the first group throughout, but they've been very close to equal reps and situational opportunities throughout. They've done a terrific job. They look in control. Is this guy just trying to pull our legs? What, is, is he really going to go into the season with Geno Smith and Drew Locke? And if so, is this your best, just about tearing it down? If you know what the Seattle Seahawks are doing, you're the only one who knows what the <laughs> Seattle Seahawks are doing. Nobody knows what this franchise is doing right now. Um, let me read you a quote, Ed. and let me. I'm just going to ask you, in what year was this quote 
given. Okay, quote, we need a guy that plays the game and moves the football around to the guys that are open and does all the things that manage the game so we can play great football because we're going to win with defense, we're going to win with special teams, and we're going to run the football to help the whole thing fit together. Oh. That's never changed. It's been a philosophy that we need. It's never been a philosophy that we needed to alter other than to continue to grow and make it dynamic and current. Well, if they're running the football, it might be 1982. Yeah, might, might well be, right? Might be from 40 years ago. No, no, no. Pete Carroll said that after the NFL draft this year, after he took another running back in the second round. Uh, he took Kenneth Walker from right. Michigan State, and the comparison is that, oh, man, look at this. Kenneth Walker was one of two running backs since 2017 to average four rushing yards after contact per attempt in college. You know who the other one was? Rashad Penny. You know where they both play now? They both play for Pete Carroll in Seattle. So it has become increasingly difficult to run the football in the NFL, and Pete Carroll is not going to be deterred from banging his head into that wall over and over and over again. So, yeah, Ed, I think we are stuck with Geno Smith going out there and game-managing the hell out of the Seattle Seahawks to six wins this year. Uh, Geno's still ahead. This is Pete as well. You can tell that, but it's not going to be too much longer for Drew to be caught up. By the time we get through camp, he'll be there. He's really bright. Makes sense to him. He's really sharp in the huddle at the line of scrimmage and all that, so it's just time that he needs. Uh, Kerr concluded saying by the Seahawks are in great shape. Wording and later, he repeated. Uh, that felt like Carroll's way of trying to quell persistent speculation. Seattle could add another big-name quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield. And we've heard about Baker Mayfield and, and, and Carolina. Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, we had some guys on from PFF last week who think he's going to stay with the Niners. If they don't go after these two, though, like you said, is this just them managing, or is he trying to strip this down? And and do you think we see different teams for Jimmy Garoppolo? And, and, and give me your thoughts on Baker Mayfield at this point. Well, if Seattle was going to get a quarterback, they had a top-10 draft pick to do that. No, it wasn't a great year for quarterbacks. I understand that. But they chose to acquire Drew Locke in the Russell Wilson trade, and I don't understand because we've seen Drew Locke. Quarterback is a position in the NFL where – once you set the baseline for a guy, it doesn't change a whole lot. Right, and when right. we saw Drew Locke, he was a guy that ranked by pro football focus grades when he started the whole year down in the mid-30s and last year down in the mid-40s. He was around a Nick Foles-level quarterback last year. So I don't know what it is that Pete Carroll thinks he sees in Drew Locke. Yeah, he's got a big arm. He threw the ball deep as the starting quarterback in 2020 more than any quarterback in the NFL. He was also the least accurate deep ball quarterback in 2020. So he was just kind of chucking it out there and praying for rain. So now when we talk about the Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo situations, my question would be why? The rest of this roster is not ready to do anything other than your two wide receivers. This defense is not good. This offensive line is rebuilding. What is it that you look at in an NFC West that is going to be increasingly difficult oh, to compete boy. in this year? How do you look at this and say, we're going to win? So, no, I I don't want them to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, other than for comedy value. And I don't want them to trade for Baker Mayfield for the same reason. Baker Mayfield, I think, has made it pretty clear that he is going to be a toxic force wherever he goes if he doesn't dictate where he goes. Finally, before we go to break, I want to ask you about Tyreek Hill. Uh, Pat Mahomes said Tuesday was surprised by comments made by Tyreek Hill on a recent podcast. I'm surprised just a little bit because we love Tyreek. We've always loved him. Uh, he's a one-of-a-kind player. 
Hill, uh, he made the uh, comparison to Tua and Pat Mahomes. Um, Mahomes kept going. This offense was rolling before I got here. This offense was rolling before a young Cowboys fan watching the Eagles coached by Andy Reid beat up the Cowboys. It's an offense that's more than one player, and that includes myself. Uh, is this? <laughs> it was funny because Pat Mahomes said, I think he just did it for his podcast. Doesn't this happen all the time, though, when star players go to another place and they feel it? For whatever reason, just like we, we said, the former All-Pro quarterback felt it a reason to talk about Manning and Brady, that star players go and they feel this need to reason to prop up the new guy to say something like this in terms of you know comparing Tua to Pat Mahomes. The last time we tried to turn something as mediocre as Tua into something that we stand so hard for to try to make it come into existence like this was Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> we have not been able to successfully speak that into existence. And Tyreek Hill is not going to be able to speak Tua into existence either, Ed. Um, I, I, are you familiar, Ed, with the uh, what the initials CSB mean? Do you know what, what, is this someone Chonies? responds with that? No, no, no. No, it is, is actually LOL? not LOL? Is this lol? It, we're on the same track. CSB is cool story, bro. Like, that's my <laughs> response to Tyreek Hill. Cool story, bro. Uh, let's let's see how you're talking about Tua when he's underthrown you by 10 yards a few times when you've beaten the defense this year. When we come back, it's Willie Pops Ramirez. This message funded by a grant through the Nevada Department of Health and Human Services aired in cooperation with the Nevada Broadcasters Association and this station. This is the Press Box with Ed Graney and Adam Candy. Here he is. One of our favorites. Follow him on Twitter at Willie G. Ramirez. It's Pops Ramirez, Willie Ramirez, Associated Press Sports Writer, member of Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. How are you, Pops? What's happening, guys? Good morning. Oh, good morning to you. Uh, we have not covered, because there's so much else going on uh, today uh, with hockey and other such things, the Raiders, but I wanted to start off with you on the Raiders because you were out there every day uh, for OTAs, for the mandatories. What did you take from what you saw in terms of still their biggest need? Everyone says the offensive line, but when you sit back and think of the Raiders right now as they go into camp, uh, as Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler sit around thinking about what they need to improve, was it the offensive line or was it somewhere else that you said they better get this fixed because uh, everyone's talking about the good things everywhere else? I don't know if it's a matter of getting things fixed um, in this particular area. I'm on the offensive line bandwagon as well, but... um, I'd like to know what's going on with Josh Jacobs. I'd like to know what's going on in the running back room. Um, I've been on record as saying that I think this is Kenyon Drake's year that he's going to emerge as their, you know, their overall top back, whether I I don't necessarily mean that that's going to be the go-to guy for rushing yards, but the overall sort of the, just the catalyst in being able to do so many things based on what McDaniel's, did in New England and how they utilized that offense. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think a lot of it hinges on what they're doing with Josh Jacobs, what Josh Jacobs is doing. You know, I, I'm not just not sure the role that he's playing. And then you have that, that room has been filled up so, so much, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of draft pick. So um, they of course brought uh Bolden's, they got a veteran. So uh, I, I think that that, for me, is a, is a key component that the answer. So the word I don't know if the word fixed is right, but I think answers during those first couple of weeks of training camp and those first couple of preseason games will tell us because you know in order for Derek Carr to move the ball effectively with targets like Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, 
they still need an effective balance with the rushing game, whether it's to create some play action, whether it's to have someone coming out of the backfield. So I, I think that that, for me, that's where my biggest question mark outside of the offensive line is, is with the running backs room. And, Willie, it feels to me like the fact that the front office didn't pick up the fifth-year option on Josh Jacobs suggests that they're not going to be invested in him in the same way with the play calling that John Gruden was, right? It kind of feels like they're going to go with a more diversified approach, just not only because that's what we've seen in New England, but also we've seen Josh Jacobs get hurt consistently when he has to carry that big load. Right, and he has that's that right there. Your last point is that he hasn't, you know, he's he's a little bit, he's been a little bit of an injury prone guy. It's not to take away what he's capable of or his talent, because I think that he can be an effective running back. It's just a matter of what he's done, and I think because this regime hasn't seen it, and all they can go off is the numbers and some film, um, they know what some of these other veterans are capable of. So. Um, I don't know if it's where they're not going to invest in the the touches um, as much as it is is that hey dude you're going to have to prove yourself this is you know you're we're 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 betting on you keeping you around but you're betting on yourself and, and making it a big year so prove prove to us why we're going to have to keep you afterwards or you know that's to me that's that's the message that's being sent I don't think it's a a message that they're ushering him out the door it's just more or less. Uh, like we heard from um, from Ziegler and McDaniel's the, the day after or, the, or later in the day after the final day of the draft, where he, they said every every positions uh, every positions open outside of obviously the quarterback and the and uh, wide receiver one and tight end one. Outside of that, every position's open, and so I think that's the message that's being sent in that you know you have to come prove yourself. And, and, and I don't know what was wrong with him. I'm not sure why he was, you know, if he's not injured, why was he working away from the team? Where was he? Uh, you know, McDaniel said, oh, well, they're working on others. Uh, you know, some could be working inside the building. When we went inside the building, we didn't see Josh Jacobs. So was he in that middle part in the weight room with Deuce? Who knows? You know, so I, I, those are the question marks I want answered. Willie, what's a successful season for these guys coming up? Oh, I think that they have to. Uh, I think that they have to go above 500. There's no doubt about that. Um, I have a little bet going on with uh, our our host in the afternoon, Steve Cofield. Our, our next bet that I already beat him once this year, uh, and that is I have plus two and a half wins with the Raiders against the Chiefs. So obviously, I have to fall within there. Um, I pre- I personally think that they can win ten games. Um, I, I don't know if nine, I, I, I would say nine and eight is a successful season. I don't, I'm not sold that playoffs is a must in, in the very first year. Um, but I think that it's attainable with the roster that they have. I, I don't think that this is the fourth best team in the, uh, the worst team in the AFC West. And I'm not convinced that the chiefs should be the favorite to win the AFC West. Personally, I think the Chargers have the target on their back, and I think that they're, they can be the best team. I think that the Raiders have a chance to be the second or third best team in the AFC West. I think that they need to be above 500 to consider it a success. I don't think that the playoffs uh, deem this to be, a, if they don't make it, that it's unsuccessful. I mean, that's the goal. So, obviously, if you don't, but considering it's the first year and what they're trying to build and do, and 
we don't know what's going to happen with injuries. That's always a, that's always a, you know, a case. So, um, but I think that they have to be above 500. They need nine wins for it to be considered at least a success with a, a, a veteran offensive mind, a guy who's been a head coach. It says he's learned from his mistakes, but I'm not told that they have to make the playoffs in his first year. I personally think that they can be a 10 win team. Willie, I think part and parcel to that would be that that's a step backward. Right, like that, like that is a step backward from last year if that's ultimately how it works out. And the signal, I think what a fan would say is that the signal that I'm getting from the front office is that if I trade my first and second round pick to get Devontae Adams, that I'm looking at now versus looking deep into the future, right? Because now I'm not going to have those draft picks to build upon. So I, I wonder if the fans would accept that as a successful season or are you saying you just think inside the building from Mark Davis's perspective that he would be okay with that? Yeah, because the fans aren't, I mean, you know, that's, I was about to say the fans aren't paying the bills, but I guess they are because realistically season ticket holders and <laughs> ticket holders and appar- apparel buyers. Yes. But um, I'm saying within the organization and it, it would be a step backwards by not making the playoffs. But again, uh, it was a very, very weird situation last year. They were playing and running on a lot of emotions. The the regime that was in place after the Gruden debacle, they had been there. So so there was a lot of comfortability within that room. I was I'm a very big Gus Bradley guy, so I believed in what he brought and I thought he made a big difference on that roster. So is it a step back from last year? Yes, if they don't make the playoffs, but their schedule also gets increasingly harder this season compared to last year. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things to weigh there uh, outside of just saying, well, if they don't make the playoffs, it's a step back from last year. Follow on Twitter at Willie G. Ramirez. It's Willie Ramirez here with us in the press box, Cofield and Company in the afternoons, also the AP sports writer here in town. I'm not convinced, and I know you wrote about him, I believe also in OTAs. They signed Renfro. I get that. I don't know if I'm convinced that Darren Waller is getting his extension yet. Uh, he's got two years left on his deal. He'll be, I think, 29 or 30. He's had some injury issues. I know they're high on him in terms of what he might be able to do in this offense now that they have Devontae Adams, Hunter Infra under the fold. I'm just not convinced yet. It's been too quiet on that front that they are willing to extend him yet. I think they want to see what he has and is he healthy, especially at that age. Do you think a deal uh, gets done before training camp? You know, it's hard to say. I was so, I'll be real honest with you, I was so tempted to uh, to ask him yesterday because, of course, he was at the Las Vegas Aces game. You know, if he doesn't get extended and he ends up elsewhere, I think he's going to be more disappointed that he can't go to Aces games during the summer because <laughs> exactly. this dude, I mean, I mean, Asia Wilson hit a three near the end that led to that end. And this dude, I couldn't tell who was more excited, him, Mark Davis, or Asia Wilson. He's up firing simulating gunshots. It was just incredible. But anyway... I, I it's it's I was tempted to ask him just 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 to even ask him off the record, um, but to your point, I, I think that's, that those are the intangibles. Is and the biggest thing I think is age. You know, um, again, a new regime. Um, the one thing I I believe that he has going for him is that he's been a top three, top four, top five guy over the course of the last three four. You know, what is it? Three years, four years. Um, last year he he dealt with some injuries. But I think because McDaniels comes from an, a, a place where the offense was reliant on a strong tight end presence and believes in the tight end playing a major role in 
not just being a role player, but being a major role in the offensive scheme, I think that that weighs in his favor. Um, I, I, I don't know if maybe there's something going on with him. I can't imagine. He doesn't look injured. He was participating. He seems fine. He seems fine walking back and forth from the clubhouse, you know, uh, whatever courtside club at, 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 at the Michelob Ultra to his courtside seat. So everything seems fine. I, I don't know what they're waiting. I really don't know what they're waiting on. It doesn't make sense to me outside of age. I think that last year's injuries were, you know, he wear and tear. But that doesn't mean that, they, I mean, this dude's a workhorse. He's been big on, on how hard he's worked and been diligent training on the field, off the field, in the weight room since his recovery. You know, he's obviously a recovering addict, and he's he's been very upfront about that. And I think that he works diligently to keep his body in good shape. So I, I don't know if it's a – I don't believe it should be something that they're worried about injuries when he, you know, last year he had injuries, period. Other players have gone through injuries. Other than age, I think they should be extending this guy. I think they should be locking him up for what he brings on and off the field and the character in the locker room. Uh, Willie, I, I think my answer to why they haven't done it yet is next year's cap uh, because unless they can get him to take some lower money – on next year's cap, if you just take Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, and Max Crosby, they have, from this year to next year, an increase of $62 million on the cap coming next year. And yes, of course, you can always play the gymnastics game and push some money farther out, but I just wonder, what could they do to make the numbers work to get Darren Waller uh, you know, into the fold there? The only thing I think of is, is, is if they guarantee him money, but in reverse order, you always see these contracts where you're guaranteeing at the beginning a higher number and then it sort of decreases to round out that big number if he would be willing to take that chance. And if the Raiders are willing to put that on the line in sort of guaranteeing X amount of dollars but sort of start an inverted pyramid, and I'm not sure that he's willing to do that. I'm not sure how many players actually, you know, to his caliber would be willing to accept that. What we have heard is out of Derek Carr's mouth, and maybe that's why he's been so emphatic in saying those things and then repeating it with players afterwards where he said, we've done, think about that. How many times have we heard Derek Carr since he signed his, his extension, uh, which is only guaranteed for one year, how many times have we heard him say, we've done all we can, Devontae and I have done all, to make sure that these can happen. Maybe he's sending a message to the one guy who hasn't been extended, hey, we've done our part, now it's on you. Willie, tell us where your remote is and where people can go out and see and say hi. Hey, we are taking ESPN on the road today to Twin Peaks for the Mets-Marlins game. They are playing. They're starting up here in about an hour and 14 minutes. And uh, ESPN is going to be on the road. Myself and engineer Mateo, we're going to have prizes. We're giving tickets away, I believe, to Morrissey. $25 gift cards to Twin Peaks. So if you show up, I hand you a gift card. you got to get there before they run out. And you can apply it to your food bill, your drinks bill. I'm sure that the scenery will not be disappointing to anybody. I'm out there from 11 to 1 today, so come check it out. We're going to watch some baseball and hang out. We're going to talk about Deuce, and we're going to talk about my lifting regimen that's going to start around 2 p.m. later today. There he is, Willie Ramirez. Check him out at Twin Peaks. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. We have two tickets to Morrissey. Uh, the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. The residency is July 1 through 9. Two tickets to Morrissey. If you want to see Morrissey, Viva Las Vegas. Go uh, call 364-1100, 702-364-1100. DeMond's going to take caller 4. 
right after this. This is the Press Box with Ed Graney and Adam Candy. Thanks to Willie Ramirez, Mick Akers at 9 on the A's. Are they really coming? And Mike Grimala at 9.30, the mystery writer. Stephen King is upon us with Mike Grimala. A uh, little uh, golf here. Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick of uh, Britain wins the U.S. Open. Uh, shoots 68 in the final round and beats Scotty Scheffler and Wills the Taurus by a shot. Uh, what do you think yesterday, especially on the 18 when he has to come from the bunker on the left? What a, what a shot. Um, he said that's the one shot he didn't want to shoot. Um, he told his caddy that that's the one thing he didn't want to do, which he had to do. But, uh, boy, the clutch moments. Am I wrong to say more and more of these golfers are making more clutch putts? I can't remember the last time I saw more clutch putts uh, of so many players down the stretch from like 18, you know, 15 to 18 feet. Not Not easy putts at all. Oh, absolutely not. I'm curious, Ed. When it comes to Father's Day routines, I know the U.S. Open for a lot of guys is, is right up there. It's like a baseball and golf buffet all day long. Like, what, what for you is the uh, is the Father's Day routine? Uh, yesterday it was uh, <laughs> Channel 3 and Channel 690. So I, I watched mostly golf. I watched mostly golf because this just in the Dodgers play other days except yesterday. I had to keep going back and forth. They were struggling against the Guardians, so I stayed with the golf and uh, – I thought it was amazing. Um, I felt bad for, uh, somewhat for Zal Torres. This is the second now, second now time he's come that close uh, and uh, couldn't get it done. Um, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, what, what about him on the back nine? My goodness. Shoots a 65, uh, finishes three back. And then Rory, I had hoped Rory would make a stronger run. I kind of wanted Rory to get it done. Uh, finishes four off the pace. Uh, but great job by Fitzpatrick. The only person now, along with Nicholas, to win the U.S. Uh, amateur and the U.S. Open on the same course, um, and he did it at the uh, at the uh, Country Club there in Brookline. Um, how about you? Did you? I mean, did you watch shot to shot? I mean, I was kind of the same as you, where I was uh, giving a little bit of attention to the Yankee game and a little bit of attention to the U.S. Open. Um, you know, I think that this U.S. Open shows the path forward for the PGA Tour in a post-Tiger world because you finally got the kind of showing that is going to keep people engaged, right? That entire back nine, as you just said, shot after shot, putt after putt, and all of the guys at the top of the leaderboard, maybe with the exception of Adam Hadwin, who's a pretty Mm -hmm. damn good golfer, just about everybody on that leaderboard was a recognizable name. It was guys who are in it week in and week out. It was Keegan Bradley. It was Rory McIlroy. Like you said, it it was Scotty Scheffler, who kind of was playing the role of a tiger where you didn't know if he could pull it off, but he had a chance there late to number one golfer in the world. And that to me is the U.S. Open is a perfect tournament for people who don't love golf because the U.S. Open is designed to make professional golfers look like you and me on the weekend. Right, exactly. And when you see them struggling and you feel like, oh, yeah, even the toughest golfers in the world can't uh, always destroy the course, well, what they did this week was pretty damn close to being able to keep up with what the course that the USGA put out there. That shot that Fitzpatrick made from the bunker on 18, the fairway bunker. Uh, understand that Will Zalatoris, who is one hell of a player himself, said afterward, quote, I thought even going for it was going to be ballsy. It's probably 1-20 in 20 at best to pull it off. That shot was something that you could stick Matthew Fitzpatrick back in that bunker another hundred times and maybe two or three times he's going to make that shot it was absolutely unbelievable and that's the post tiger path for the pga tour is to have a bunch of guys 
who are shooting it out against each other. And maybe it ends up being the post live golf path, considering what the PGA Tour is going through right now. Called it a squeezy fade. Hit nine iron that started the steep uh, lip in, in, uh, uh, in through the bunker. Um, carried the front bunker and settled eight feet, 18 feet away. That was an amazing shot. Uh, one especially that he didn't even want to hit. Let me ask this real quick. Um, the LIV Tour, uh, their guys didn't do uh, great here. You and I haven't talked about this tour, uh, and Norman wants them to get world golf rankings. I don't know if that's going to happen, but their guys didn't do well. I read a column last week from someone in San Diego who said, you know what, you can get mad at Phil Mickelson all you want, but there's other things uh, in sports when you talk about uh, who you take money from, the NBA in China. I think Qatar actually owns PSG in the, in the, um, in the uh, Premier League. Um, and, and I guess the columnist point was I thought it was a pretty good one. It's like, be mad at Mickelson all you want, but don't forget other leagues take money from people, uh, suspect people around this world. Um, and I, I, I had thought about the NBA and China and its relationship. I had not thought about PSG. But it, do you think there's validity to that, that you know, they've kind of heaped this on Mickelson, yet you stand back and say, you know what, he's not the only one. The difference is that this is the actual Saudi government. This is not just, well, there are companies in China or, well, we took a little bit of money to host a tournament here. This is this is the government of Saudi Arabia through its wealth fund trying to create a golf tour. And I think I would compare it to Qatar and PSG mm-hmm. with this whole concept. And I'm sure you've read about it and I'm sure people have heard it. The idea of sport washing, right? Right. That these governments are trying to use sports to create a better image for themselves. And when you take a guy like Phil Mickelson, this becomes no longer hashtag stick to sports, right? You're taking money from a foreign government to play the sport. And that is political inherently. You can't get away from that. And so if people want to make a judgment on Phil Mickelson or anyone else who decides to go take this money, I'm not going to stand in their way because I do think it's different. I uh, Yes, you can try to do the whataboutism and say, well, all money is dirty money to some degree. Everything has some sort of tie to something that you don't like. But this is a government that Phil Mickelson acknowledged in trying to yes, make it he actually, okay for he himself was and quoted. everybody. He actually was quoted talking about them as uh, scary MFers uh, who killed a Washington Post journalist. So he clearly is acknowledging, yeah, I'm taking the bag, and I know exactly who I'm taking it from. You surprised how many people have jumped, especially younger guys? I'll be surprised if we get more of the younger guys doing it. So far, it's kind of been Phil and a bunch of guys like me in their mid-40s wondering if it's their last chance. You know, like it's it's pretty much uh, what we've seen move so far. I think Abraham right. Answer is going to be the next one to go. He's one on on the younger side of things. Uh, the PGA Tour has some questions to answer, man. They they yeah. have some major questions to answer. That it's not about who the competition is. It's about the fact that there's competition in the first place. And they keep saying we're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. Well, you've gotten some great loyalty this week. McElroy and Rom and yeah. Justin Thomas. They've yeah. all stood up for you. Now, I'm sure, implicitly, they're expecting you're going to stand up for them, whether it's better purses, whether it's better conditions, whatever it is these guys want, you have a market force that is going to force you to create it. Great stuff there from Adam, as usual. All right, when we come back, it's Mick Akers from the Review Journal. Are the A's actually coming?